And now, The Mentors Radio, one of the most popular and unique shows on the air today. Here each week, remarkable CEOs and leaders, including hosts Tom Laurie and Dan Hesse, and their guests will mentor you, challenging your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their ethical leadership and advice, and for helping others succeed throughout their careers, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Learn more and check out the show notes at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Most, if not all of us, have faced people who have subtly prey on our weaknesses and use clever tactics to gain advantage over us. These people are underhanded, backstabbing, deceptive, and conniving. They may work with us. They may be associates of ours, and they may even live with us. They fight hard for what they want, but they want to conceal their aggressive intentions. They are, in my opinion, I I call them monsters, and they can steal the joy from your life and be a major obstacle to career success. Today, we are very privileged to have Dr. George Simon, a world-renowned therapist and psychologist who has spent decades understanding and dealing with character-impaired personalities. His best-selling book, In Sheep's Clothing, just celebrated its 28th year, and in two years, it'll have to be a 30-year mark, and I think he's going to do a revised edition for that. Uh, Other books he's authored along the way are The Judas Syndrome, How Did We End Up Here, Surviving and Thriving in a Character-Disordered World, and uh, Character Disturbance, the Phenomenon of Our Age. And more recently, uh, he has Essentials for the Journey, Living and Embracing the Ten Commandments of Character. Uh, I want to welcome you and thank you very much for your time, George, for joining us. And let's get started. I, I'm curious, for 30 years, you've been studying these problem personalities. What what sparked your interest in this complex field? Well, thank you, Tom. I'm happy to be here today. What sparked my interest uh, had to do with being in practice and seeing something very different from what I was taught, uh, basically. You know, we... Uh, uh, psychologists and other mental health professionals have been schooled very well for many years uh, in helping those individuals who are riddled with fears and insecurities and uh, who have uh, unconscious conflicts that they have repressed uh, or tried to put away, but unsuccessfully so. And we try to help them work through those issues. But more and more, I was seeing two groups of folks. I was seeing folks whose character, whose overall moral foundation and whose way of looking at the world and dealing with the world was horribly misguided. And I was also seeing their relationship partners uh, suffering what we've come to call the gaslighting effect. Um, And I thought, you know, I'm not trained for this. (laughs) Uh, And so what uh, prompted me to begin my research and, and, uh, uh, start to do some writing about it was that very phenomenon. And as we get started in a career, as all of us, uh, you know, things are pretty ambiguous. You start down a path, uh, but there are important people that help us along the way. Who, who was it that really believed in you and uh, guided you? Oh my goodness! Uh, well, I'd have to credit one professor in school. Um, he's deceased now, but 
He was a student of and a devotee of one of the preeminent personality researchers in the country. Um, and so he was an inspiration to me and uh, a supporter uh, early on. And then um, I attended some workshops with some folks who are unfortunately no longer around, but who were beginning to say some of the same things and who gave me a lot of, of, of guidance. Uh, one of those individuals is uh, Stanton Samenow, uh, who uh, wrote Inside the Criminal Mind. And um, a lot of the folks who uh, have criminal personalities have many of the same character disturbances as individuals who are flawed, deeply flawed in their character, but may not be criminals. Uh, but still, some of their behavior is very much alike. So uh, th there's where my inspiration came from. And what are some of the tough lessons you've learned along the way in your career? Uh, I learned two things. Uh, one, I couldn't operate like I was trained to operate and really help either the survivors of toxic relationships or character impaired people. I just simply couldn't um, rely on insight, on working through the emotional underpinnings, fears and insecurities, driving behavior. I had to confront uh, behavior directly. Uh, and this is going to sound strange, but it's most important. Lovingly, uh, I had to refine what I call the art of benign confrontation, whereby you call out what's unhealthy, but you do so in a way that makes it very difficult to see you as anyone that just simply wants nothing more than your welfare and the welfare of all. Uh, as soon as it becomes apparent that you have nothing but uh, good intention, um, but still are not going to let things slide, uh, and you're going to call out what needs to be called out, then things can begin to change. And what I realized more than anything else is it's not hopeless, uh, except for a small group of folks. There are some folks who currently, by all the methods that we have, uh, either because their wiring is uh, so uncommonly uh, abnormal, or they're so deeply ingrained in their patterns of behavior and it's been reinforced for so long, uh, that we just can't really make any inroads with them with the with the methods that we have. The, those people are true. They they exist, but they're few. Uh, and, for the most part, we can help. And and, and in terms of philosophy, uh, and when I was doing my research, um, you state that you have to act your way into a new way of thinking mm -hmm. instead of thinking your way into a new way of acting. Could you just? Talk about that yeah. a second. I wish I wish I had invented that little phrase. Uh, I didn't. I'm parroting. I'm, I'm not even sure who was the first to utter that. Um, but we have known in psychology for a long, long time that the way we think about things, the attitudes that we have, influence our behavior. Uh, so within the what we now call the cognitive behavioral paradigm, with most therapists will tell you that they subscribe to, 
Um, we generally spend a lot of time and effort trying to get people to see things differently in the hopes that they will then do differently. And um, this phrase that I quote, uh, of who I'm not sure originally coined it, the person said that uh, it's a lot more efficacious, which means a lot more effective, and it's frankly a lot simpler and easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than it is to think your way into a new way of acting. And that means that in any kind of therapeutic encounter, what you want to help people do is to do differently in the hopes that they will eventually see the benefits of so doing. And um, I liken that to what they teach surgeons in uh, in school. You know, you can read in the in the handbook, in the surgery handbook, all the things you're supposed to consider when you're doing a particular kind of operation. And you know, when somebody's life is on the line, you want to get it right. But um, they have an axiom where they say, "See one, do one, then teach one." And uh, what that involves is. The best learning is when you participate in the activity, watching somebody do it, and then you actually do it yourself with guidance. And then when you have enough skill, you pass it on to somebody else, and that reinforces the learning. So how we come to change our mindset is in changing our behavior first. We're going to have to cut for a break, and we'll be right back with Dr. George Simon. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. Today, we are with Dr. George Simon, the world-renowned expert on character disorders, we're talking about surviving and thriving in a character disordered world. Now, we talked about uh, in the last segment about um, behavior and action. Uh, we talked about, uh, I guess, fake it until you make it, but it's much more complex than that. Uh, but that being said, let's get into the meat of the. How do you define a character disordered person? Since we're going to be talking about that for the rest of the show, let's get the definition out there. Wow. Uh, that's a great question. And unfortunately, all of the definitions that we have attempted uh, about this are failing us these days because of the prevalence of character dysfunction. We used to say that what defines uh, a problematic character from a character disorder, we used to say that it had to do with the severity of, of, of one's uh maladaptive style and the inflexibility of that style. And we also used to say that it was contingent upon the person's inability to function well, that their their way of doing things got in the way of them being able to have a, a decent home life and a, and a decent work life. Well, these days, in the in the era where character dysfunction of one type or another, or one degree or another, is so commonplace, that definition is failing us. So my current definition, Tom, has to do with the capacity to to truly love, to genuinely 
and sincerely love. And character-impaired people, they know how to look good. Uh, they know what to say and do, maybe even to win your favor. But can they really genuinely wish you well? Will you well? Uh, that's the real question. And um, what marks the character disorder is the unwillingness, and in some cases, the incapacity to genuinely love. So that gets into heart and empathy, and we're going to come back to that. But I'm curious, I'm just so the audience, we kind of give it some kind of specificity. I mean, we're it's a large group, it's on a spectrum, but we're talking about narcissists, we're talking about manipulative personalities, which is what we want to talk about today. I, I, one question is that there is it evenly distributed between men and women? Well, the uh, distribution seems to be equal, although the type seems to vary. There's not a lot of research on that that's that's really very uh, solid and reliable. But for the most part, there are two types of narcissism, the vulnerable compensatory type and what I call the more purely character-disturbed, or what some researchers are calling the grandiose type. And in our day and time, it seems that women tend to be more of the vulnerable compensatory type, whereas men tend to be more of the grandiose type. Like I said, there's not a lot of firm, solid, reliable uh, data on this just yet, but uh, there do seem to be some sex differences there. The most important thing I think to remember is that character disturbance in general, and including narcissism, is on various spectra of type and degree. There's a lot of misinformation out there on narcissism. One size does not fit all. A narcissist is not a narcissist is not a narcissist. There are different types and degree some more malignant, as we say these days, than others. This is Tom Laurie. We are with Dr. George Simon, the author of In Sheep's Clothing. Do these um, do these people think they're normal? Well, uh, the, the biggest problem is whether they're comfortable with the way they operate, whether they like the way they operate. And for the most part, character-impaired, narcissistic individuals like the way they do things, and they're very aware of how others see them, and they're very aware of what problems others have with them. But they basically say, you know, I, I know what you have to say about me, and I know how you think that I'm kind of all messed up, but you know what? I don't care because I like who I am, and I like the way that I do things. Hmm. That's a tough one. Now, are you seeing more? I mean, you're still getting a lot of emails and doing a lot of speeches. And Are you seeing more of these uh, disordered personalities today than before? And what is that cycle that uh, you and I talked about in the prep? Yeah, we, we see more character disturbance in general these days than we do what we psychologists used to call neurosis. In other words, people making themselves sick from unreasonable worry and fret and over-concern, um, raging insecurities. We see more character-impaired people than we used to. Now, as I said before, it's a matter of type and degree. And what I have been personally witnessing, I, this is my opinion, 
I don't know how much research backs this up. I suspect it will take a while to get it. But what I'm seeing is certain types of character disturbance that used to just kind of outrage us and used to kind of get our attention. And we'd say, what, what in the heck is that? I'm seeing stuff like that become so normalized that it's harder for us to tell and it's harder for us to be affected by gross displays of horrible character. Um, and this, to me, is a big problem and one that psychology has yet to deal with properly, I think. And I would uh, guess uh, your book has been translated, I believe, into the book, The In Sheep's Clothing, in 30 Languages. Over 30. And it's been around. The book is going to celebrate its 30th, 30th anniversary. So it would appear to me that there's a global interest in uh, understanding manipulation, uh, and, and there seems to be no cultural differences. Is that a fair assumption? That's a fair assumption. I get email from all over the world. And we're going to come back to this. Uh, I don't want to go over time, but it's, and what brought me to ask you to come on our show is I was dealing with a situation and you, uh, as we talked about, you get a gut feeling about mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that gut feeling and um, also talk about those people who have a gut feeling, but don't act on it. Right. Well, and we've got I, we've got about I, a minute. We got about it. Why don't we just cut for break and we'll come back? And I spend think maybe this time. that's a good idea because okay. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be right back with Dr. George Simon. You can listen to this show and past shows on all popular podcast platforms or by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. Subscribe while you're there so you don't miss any future shows. That is thementorsradio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio. And now. Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Lawyer. Today, we are with Dr. George Simon. We're talking about how to reclaim your respect and confidence after suffering the manipulations of a covert, aggressive personality. So in the last segment, we were just talking about the gut feeling and the, and the people that don't act on that. Uh, if you could pick it up from there. You know, um, our gut is a wonderful thing. Um, and there are some great books out there. Uh, one of them is Gavin DeBecker's book about the gift of fear. We are wired in such a way that our gut is meant to churn when we sense that people are up to some no good. And the problem with all the manipulation tactics and the problem with folks who I label as covertly aggressive uh, these are the most manipulative personalities, is that the way they operate makes it difficult to objectively prove what your gut is telling you. Worse, our traditional psychology has inundated us with metaphors that give us the wrong idea. Traditional psychology is almost obsessed. It is strictly confined to people's fears and insecurities. And while fears and insecurities are a big part of everybody's life growing up. We human beings are also fighters. And we fight in more ways than we care to count. And psychology has not really studied that very well. And it's also misinterpreted the main reasons we fight, insisting that we only do so when we feel threatened. This is totally untrue. 
we are creatures who are goal-oriented. We want things. We desire things. And sometimes we go after them in ways that are unhealthy. And so when in a relationship, a partner senses that something is off, that their partner is trying to roll over them, that their partner is trying to make them doubt everything their gut is telling them about what's going on in the relationship, and they go unconsciously on the defensive, they have a hard time accepting the fact that their partner is a person purely on the offensive, just trying to have their way. And if they're adept at using certain tactics that provide good cover for just trying to have their way, uh, then they're going to have even greater doubt about what their gut is telling them. So, for example, let's just say that, that the spouse is an aggrieved spouse who has caught their, uh, their partner cheating and is now wary of every text message that comes in on the phone. And then the, uh, the manipulative uh, person, the covert aggressor, uh, uses the tactic of shaming and guilting uh, and feigning outrage and saying something like, well, I suppose uh, you're going to check my phone now every time a message comes in. Am I ever going to be able to be trusted? Are you always going to doubt me? Making it seem like it's the victim's fault. And the, uh, the, the person on the other end immediately goes on the defensive and thinks, well, maybe I'm being unreasonable here. Maybe I'm the one who's in error. And buying into the narrative, basically, that the person who's breached trust doesn't have the obligation to repair it, to repair the damage. Um, and, and they don't see the tactics that the person is using as, a ba as basically an attempt to get the other party to knuckle under and to uh, be subordinate. Um, this is the kind of interaction that goes on in so many troubled relationships. I can, I, I just can't count them all and why I get, have given so many workshops. And as soon as people see that certain people operate in certain um, aggressive ways and they use tactics to have their way and to make you doubt and that it's all about maintaining the upper hand in a relationship, as soon as they see that and as soon as they accept what their gut has been telling them all along, everything starts to change. This is Tom Laurie. We're with Dr. George Simon, the author of How Did We End Up Here? Surviving and Thriving in a Character Disordered World. So coming back to how we deal with it, I mean, there's so much packed into what you just said. It would seem one defense would be, first of all, knowing our vulnerabilities. We each have to know our vulnerabilities. And then secondly, you talk a lot about this and you mentioned, well, comes back to our own heart, which has a lot to do with our gut, and then principles and values. So talk a little bit about now that you've talked about how they attack us, if you will, and, it, and it's not just a spouse. I mean, this can be somebody at work. This can be yep. in uh, a nonprofit. It can be all different places. So I want to make sure this, and I want to note too that in 
Dr. Simon's book in Sheep's Clothing, he goes through all the different tactics that uh, present themselves. So you can get, if you get the book, you can go through that because those are certainly uh, helpful when you're dealing with a situation to put a name on it. So talk a little bit more about principles, values, and knowing ourselves, know thyself. Yes, uh, many times our manipulators know us better than we know ourselves. They know just what buttons to push. They know where our weaknesses are, our vulnerabilities. And they also count on our good nature many times. They count on that conscientiousness that we might have because you can take advantage of that. For people who have no scruples and don't mind using and abusing, they love people who have scruples. <laughs> and who uh, uh, and who will uh, question. So, um, yeah, you have to know yourself pretty well, and you have to be willing to stand on your principles, to know them and to know when those principles are well-founded and when they are truly wholesome. I outline them in Essentials for the Journey, um, those qualities that we almost universally at one time agreed upon were essential for good character and which we've seemed to have forgotten. And we've also seemed to have forgotten what it takes to not only instill those values, but to propagate those values in the society, to make them part of our social fabric, to insist upon them for, from our leaders and from our, um, our bosses and our other folks in positions of authority. So as you were talking, I want to go back. You talked about heart and empathy and the chaotic world we live in and more people that are disordered. What do you think the root cause of all of that is? Well, a classic vicious cycle has been churning for decades now. As more and more character-impaired people populate the society, structures and institutions and norms and mores that have always helped us develop character have become corrupted and deteriorated and as that has happened more and more character impaired people emerge on the scene it's a classic vicious cycle and we have to turn it around the key is how we have to turn it around maybe we can talk about that we can talk about that. I think what we're going to do is we'll cut the break and leave more time in the next segment because that sounds like it's going to take a, a lot more time. Uh, so this, uh, we're going to be right back with George Simon in a moment. If you've enjoyed this show and are listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you give us a five-star rating while you're there. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy. We are with Dr. George Simon, and we're talking about surviving and thriving in a character-disordered world. If you're listening to this show on your favorite podcast platform, please scroll down and give us a five-star review to help others find us. So we were talking about what we must do. And, I, and, and in this, let's also talk about what we must do with our children. That's be yeah. very expansive because it's really how do we counteract? I mean, there's a, obviously a trend. Things are going down the tubes. How do we turn it around? Well, one thing we have to realize is how much it takes to, to produce a child uh, of good character. You know, every child has their own set of innate traits, their strengths and their weaknesses, and um, their environments help help shape them too. And in today's kind of chaotic um, 
more uh, morally fluid, a relativistic kind of environment, it's very, very hard. It's more challenging than ever. And it takes more than just parents. It takes more than uh, just teachers. Teachers were not made to raise children, yet they're faced with that task increasingly. And you're certainly not going to have that happen just in daycare. It takes a whole group of folks with a united, concerted effort, and it takes some agreement on the most fundamental principles uh, that help shape character. We can't even agree on that today. What are the most important values, the core values that are just absolutely essential for good character? Then how do we help instill that? How do we model that? How do we reinforce that? I like to say that character, and I, I didn't say this first, uh, actually a person by the name of uh, Theodore Milan said this first, character is like a psychological immune system. You can compare it to that. It's what helps us weather the storms of everyday life, the slings and arrows of life, the ups and downs, and to survive and prosper in a world full of challenges and uh, some bad things at times. With strength of character and with soundness of character, we can get through this minefield that sometimes is life without adding to problems ourselves by being a person of poor character. So uh, it's absolutely essential and it takes a group effort. You know, uh, it's been said it takes a village. The more important question is, what kind of village? What kind of village? What kind of values? How are we cooperating in that effort? I remember a time, Tom, and perhaps you do too, when the most important values were so universally accepted and understood that I, if I misbehaved in someone's home or at school in a certain way, I knew I was going to get the exact same lecture from my parents, the exact same uh, consequences. Uh, these days, we have so much relativism and so much um, debate about what should prevail that it's very, very hard. And we have to have an honest, serious, loving discussion about that if we're ever going to move toward greater wholesomeness of character. So it would seem, listening to what you just said, number one, it does start in the home and how the parents, uh, first of all, if they identify, if they identify manipulative behavior in a child, what should they do about it? Well, I mean, that's where it starts. Yeah. And uh, once again, I'll come back to the art of benign confrontation. It's about calling it out. You know, uh, parents uh, have, I think, kind of naturally an internal radar detector. They know when a kid uh, is trying to pull the wool over their eyes. And um, that behavior has to be confronted directly, lovingly, and consequented and consequented benignly uh, without undue, undue shame or guilting. But let me say a word about that too, because um, I talk a lot in all my books, especially in Essentials for the Journey and in Character Disturbance. I talk about shame and guilt. Guilt is that bad feeling we have when we've done something wrong. Shame is about 
who we are and feeling bad about who we are. And for a long, long time, psychology has told us that guilt is an okay thing, but shame is never a good thing. That we should never basically tell a person that who they are is not very acceptable, only that what they have done. I'm here to tell you, having worked for years with the most seriously disturbed characters, that not one person that I have ever seen truly turn their life around did so out of a sense of guilt. Mm -hmm. It's only when they took a look in the mirror and for the first time didn't like the person they saw that things started to change. We talked about the family, the parents, but we're also part of organizations and you have these behaviors at work or maybe you're in some kind of a, a, a rotary club. I don't know, something. Yes. How do you deal with it there? Now you're not because they may not have these uh, values and standards. So it gets yes. to be more challenging, I think. It gets particularly challenging, especially if you don't have support. If there's not universal agreement among the powers that be within the organization, and if you don't have a lot of peer support, too. Um, there are many folks who, uh, you know, the classic whistleblower in an organization who is so married to a principle that when they see something that goes against um, a, a core value, and they, they blow the whistle or they raise the alarm. Uh, they can become easily a pariah within that organization. Uh, so, yes, it's tougher than ever. And you have to be willing to pay the consequence if you're going to be a person who can live with your own character. So we had a guest two years ago who was an FBI whistleblower. They went all the way up. They did all the right things, went up the chain and everything else. And then he went public because uh, mm -hmm. he wasn't getting any action. And he was dealing with principles and values. Mm -hmm. Very strong principled young man. And the FBI turned on him. Right to what you're saying. Yeah. And there's a tremendous uh, cost. Uh, well, there's a cost to all of us, Tom. This is the thing that I hope we come to realize before it's too late. This character crisis affects everything and everyone. And it is still getting worse, not better. And it, the, the, the cost is just unbelievable to us all. It, it, we may not stop to think about it or, realizing, or realize it, but it is affecting us all and in a negative way, a seriously negative way. So it would seem in an organization that the leader of the organization would have the I mean, individuals, I mean, that's the whistleblower idea, but you would hope that the leaders are looking themselves in a mirror and are starting to act on principles top down, right? I have a friend of mine who's a corporate consultant who agrees with that 100% and has made that her uh, endeavor. Uh, and, you know, organizations have their own personalities and their own character. And they don't just, the character of the organization doesn't just mirror the, the character flaws of the people at the top. It mirrors the overall character and set of values that the organization has adopted and operates under. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with George Simon. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. 
Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and we're with Dr. George Simon. So what is the role? I mean, we today it's so much more complicated than 30 years ago. Uh, and you and I offline just talked a little about the role of the, you know, the first company you joined, the first boss. But today we've got this thing called social media. We've got TikTok and we've got Instagram and we've got all these other things out there. A lot more information. How is that playing a role, you think, in terms of this degradation of uh, of people and behavior? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, a lot of our social media is much like a Donnybrook. It's a whole lot of undisciplined fighting and bullying. Uh, and uh, we seem to be using our platforms to advance various agendas uh, in various ways and to sway opinion. Um, and we're not really connecting. You know, I said earlier that my current, um, I like to think kind of evolved definition of good character has to do with the capacity to love. And I don't think there's anything more powerful or constructive than two human beings genuinely wishing and willing well for themselves and for each other. I think that's power. I think that's how we'll make it. Um, but we seem to be just reveling in who we can attack, what kind of po uh, point of view we can promulgate, whether it's true or not. Um, we seem to like poking fun. Um, we're not engaging with one another in any kind of a constructive way. Most of what I see on the media is destructive to some degree or another. Now, I'm not one of those folks who thinks that we need to limit speech. But as John Adams uh, once said of this country that they were putting together here and the ideals we wanted to enshrine in the Constitution, he once said that it's not going to work unless we have people of decent character because if you give people of decent character maximum latitude, they will do great things and they will build great things. But in the absence of that, this freedom that we have is very dangerous and will be, a, will be abused. Uh, and I think that's what's happened on too much of social media. We're not connecting with one another um, in any kind of a constructive way. And as a matter of fact, in many ways, I don't think we're connecting with one another at all. I have learned over the course of my lifetime and reflect, reflecting on life, and obviously the venue I have with the Mentors Radio Show, that at the end of the day, the most important thing when we're on our deathbed is to know that we've been loved and we have loved. Yet when I look out into the world today, and I know that in the United States, 40% of the people are living alone, yep. and we have what, 50% now of all the marriages that fail. And uh, we all know children of failed marriages who don't have a mother and don't have a father. And I was a single parent father uh, and then my children didn't have a mother. So I'm very acutely aware of the loss of a parent. Right. But we got all that going on as well. Right. It sounds trite to say that love is the answer, but first you have to know what love really is versus what it really isn't. And then you have to have both the character and the courage to actually display it, especially when it's tough. That's what's going to save us. 
That's what's going to save us in the but, end. But also, I mean, when you look at entertainment and Hollywood and everything else, how they portray love is a very super, not always, but it's superficial. Yes. And I always go back to Scott Peck, who wrote a beautiful book called The Road Less Traveled. Yeah. And in that, he said uh, very clearly, love is not romance. Love is a decision. Yes. And I don't think people understand that when you choose to love somebody, it changes the dynamic uh, considerably. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I borrowed a few things from that book, and I, I'm very proud to say that we're in a category, both both in sheep's clothing and that book are in a category for shelf life that's uh, kind of unrivaled. It's, it's just sobering to think that it'll be 30 years pretty soon since— uh, uh, in sheep's clothing has been in print. So let me close quickly just to remind people how important this book is. Obviously, it's going to be around for 30 years at least. Is that you talk about in the book, the, the sections are understanding manipulative personalities, dealing effectively with manipulative people. Those are the two major categories. And there's a lot packed in this book. And I can assure you, I mean, I'm really, in, I don't usually get on and promote a book as hard as I'm promoting yours, but I think this is such a useful book. This is the book that you will put on the shelf and use from time to time when you're dealing with things. So I commend you on that and congratulate on its uh, uh, time on the sh its shelf life, which is just incredible. Uh, we've got about uh, a little less than two minutes left. You have any, oh, less than a minute now. Do you have any closing thoughts? We got about 30 seconds. I, I think, Tom, I'm I'm kind of an optimist. Uh, I think that as bad as some things have gotten and as normalized as the most egregious displays of character have become, uh, has become, um, I think we're, we're on the cusp of something. Most people I've met are really, really hungry for greater depth and meaning in their lives. And they know at a very, very deep intuitive level that we've kind of lost our way. Uh, and so I think that things might get worse before they get better, but all birthing occurs with trauma and with pain. And I think we're about ready to give birth to a near, new era. At least I, I pray that that's true. Well, great, our time is up. Um, I hope you'll come back again and we can talk about essentials. I think that's a great book. I'm, I'm into that and we can talk about the concepts there. Uh, we could have used another hour without a doubt. Our guest mentor today has been Dr. George Simon, the world-renowned ex expert on character disorders. We've been talking about surviving and thriving in a character-disordered world. I want to thank you very much for your time and for joining us today. We will provide links on our website, thementorsradio.com. If you missed any of the show or want to order any of the books mentioned today, we will also provide links to Dr. Simon's blog and his Character Matters podcast. That is TheMentorsRadio.com. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.